Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We do have a scripture reading this morning, um, which is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it says this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's just take a moment to uh, pray before we dig into this passage. God, we thank you for the tremendous privilege we have to worship you this morning. Thank you for the freedom we have to do so. May we never take that for granted. And God, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would give us insight. You would give us ears to hear. And uh, Lord, that we would also see how we can respond according to what we hear today. May you be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as many of you know, this weekend is the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens, and I'm so glad that it doesn't seem many of you skipped out on church to go. I see a few faces that I think did, Um, but they'll hear that when they listen to this recording later. Um, Well, uh, of course, um, I've never actually been to the Rugby Sevens, even though I've been here 10 years. I'm still waiting for someone to give me the free tickets. But of course, I'll be rooting for the best team, the United States of America. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Okay. I'm hearing boos and laughter. I don't know why. Um, Actually, uh, this couple days ago, uh, we were out with some friends who are American, first time in Hong Kong. I was telling them about the Rugby Sevens, and they're like, what's that? (laughs) So enough said about Americans and rugby. Well... As important as the Rugby Sevens are this weekend, um, Jesus' words here uh, help to focus us on what's important in life, especially for us as Christians. And uh, there's a famous saying I keep hearing from different members here at AIC, uh, and apparently it's attributed to Pastor Schaefer who said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) Apparently a lot of you know that because you were reciting it as I said it. It's very catchy, and uh, it's so true. And so Jesus' words here, when he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. When Jesus came to earth, okay, Jesus, he's God, so he knows everything, right? But when he came down in the form of a person, he was standing there amongst the crowds, amongst humanity, and he's looking out, and he sees a tremendous problem. He sees so many people who need to hear the gospel, and there's a a, a sad reality. There's just not enough people to go and share the gospel with them. And so he was struck by that. And I want us today, uh, before we dig into this passage, I I want us to consider the enormity of Jesus' words here. Um, I'm going to share a a few statistics. And uh, according to a Pew Research um, study, uh, Pew Research is an organization in the States who does lots of polling, 
And they found uh, a, a couple years ago that there are approximately 2.2 billion Christians in this world. Um, now, that includes all denominations, Protestants, Roman Catholics, um, and other denominations we may not consider true Christians. Uh, but let's just say that for the sake of argument that that's true. That's nearly one-third of the world's population. So on the surface, we see that and we think, wow, this is the largest religion in the world, 2.2 billion people, we're doing a great job. But then if you look at the flip side, if only about one-third of the population are Christian, that means two-thirds are not, at least two-thirds. And so that means that nearly five billion people don't know Christ. They don't know Jesus. And let's make that a little more local to Hong Kong. According to government statistics put out this past year, only about 10% of Hong Kong would consider themselves Christians. And so we think, okay, in this part of Asia, that's pretty good actually. And in some respects, I guess you could think so. But think about the opposite. That means 9 out of 10 people that you encounter in Hong Kong don't know Jesus. And they'll be destined to spend eternity apart from God forever and ever. And that's staggering. And so if we put some numbers to that, that means over 6 million people in Hong Kong don't know Jesus. And so here we are at AIC with a couple hundred people here, and we have an enormous task ahead of us, don't we? There are millions and millions of people every day that we encounter. And even if we gathered all the Christians in Hong Kong, it would pale in comparison to how many people don't know Jesus. And so when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, Jesus is saying, man, there is so much work to be done, and yet not enough people to do it. When Jesus first called his disciples um, at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, um, he came to them and he said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And you notice what Jesus doesn't say there when he first called people to, to um, follow him. He didn't say, place your faith in me, believe in me. You know, we often think that's all that being a Christian is all about, that we just place our faith in Jesus, we believe in him, we go to church, we pray a bit, read our Bible, and we kind of have this free ticket to heaven. And yet that is not what being a Christian is about. Um, Jesus is saying here that it involves much more than just belief or faith. It involves us actively seeking to live according to Jesus' teaching and example. And so he says to follow me. And he says that when we follow him, there's a purpose with that. And so it's almost when he says to make you fishers of men, it's like he's saying, come follow me so that I can use you to invite others to follow me. And so I believe that same invitation is for us today. When Jesus says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, I believe that Jesus invites us to follow him so that we can be used to bring others to follow Jesus as well. And so if that's what being a Christian is about, that means that we have work to do. That means that um, there's a calling for us. There's a mission for us. And so if we're going to be used by God to be someone who helps bring others to Jesus, I think there's a lot that we can learn from the passage that we read in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So there's a few things that, that we need to do if we're going to effectively bring others to Jesus. And the first thing is uh, we need to look. 
we need to look. In uh, Matthew 9.36, it says that as Jesus was traveling and preaching and proclaiming the message and healing, that he saw the crowds. Jesus took the time to look, see, and notice the people around him. Now, let's be honest. How many of you would say that you live a fairly busy life? Anyone besides me? Okay, a few of you. Um, I think that Hong Kong is one of the busiest places on earth. Uh, When my family always comes to visit, okay, they're from the States, they're pretty laid back, pretty chill, and so every time they come, they're like, everybody is always in a hurry here. I see people running onto trains, they like dive in, and you know, the door will shut on them, and then they'll break it open, they'll come force their way in, and people are running to the bus stop, and it's just like everybody's in a hurry, and it's so true. Um, The pace of life, I think worldwide, is so fast nowadays, because we have digital technology that keeps us connected to everyone and everything as we go, so um, whether we're at work or at school or on our way in between, we're always doing something uh, and thinking about something. And many of us, um, and many people I've encountered, especially in Hong Kong, are not comfortable with so-called downtime. Um, downtime meaning you have nothing planned, you do nothing, and you just sit and relax. Now some of you might enjoy that, okay? I know how to do that when I need to. Um, But a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that. They think there's something I have to do. And so they may even think that, well, I'm being lazy if I'm not doing something. Or we say it in more nice ways, like I'm being unproductive. Or I'm not being efficient. um, Or I wonder what my boss will think if he just sees me sitting here to think for a minute. you know. And so we're always so busy and in a hurry. And we're so busy that we have to ask ourselves, do we take the time to notice the people around us? People that we encounter every day that are hurting and in need of Jesus' love and forgiveness. The nine out of ten people we encounter who need Christ in their life. Are we too busy for that, or do we take the time to notice? And, um, you know, I understand. Many of us um, are, are busy, and many of us may think, well, wait a minute, you know, I've got a lot of problems of my own. <laughs> um, I'm going through a rough time at work. I'm going through a rough time in my family. It's a really busy time for me. I don't have time to care about other people's needs. I need to focus on what, um, what I'm going through. And you know what? There are seasons in life where we do need to care for ourselves, and we shouldn't neglect the own needs in our lives. But often we use that as, as an excuse, and that can be often, and I'll just say it, often selfish because we care more about ourselves and our needs than we do about others. And, uh, you know, often people, you know, we think we're going through a rough time, and yet there's always someone else who has it much worse than we do. Um, You know, I'll I'll confess, even as a pastor, I'm often too busy um, to spend time to even notice the people around me. Um, you know, I'm busy with work. Uh, I have my own stress. I have my own pressures um, with, uh, with family uh, as well and, and work and, and friends and uh, living overseas away from my family. So there's a lot of things that can pull my time and my attention. And uh, I'll confess that often I'm just too busy for people. 
this past summer, my wife and I went back to the States for an extended time, and there was a mutual friend that we met, someone that I knew uh, since high school, and she was one that um, really has struggled over the years with her faith and with Christianity. And she's honestly had some fairly negative experiences with the church and with Christians. And she said something to Gita that um, broke my heart when I heard it. Um, But I think what she said had a lot of truth to it, sadly. And uh, so she was telling Gita that, um, you know, when she was going through difficult times in life, she wanted people to, Christians she knew, to, to help her, to pray with her, to guide her, to be there for her. And they just couldn't and wouldn't. And so she began uh, to, to find that her non-Christian friends actually had time for her. Her non-Christian friends showed that they cared for her. Her non-Christian friends invested time in her. And so she said, you know, the thing about Christians is they're just too busy, too busy to care. And when I heard that, <laughs> that broke my heart. Because that's not the heart of Jesus. And that's not the way Christians should be. Christians should be the most available, the most loving, the most other-looking people on this planet. And yet, sadly, we're so busy with good things, with our Bible studies, with our prayer meetings, with our evangelistic events, with you know, the things that we do for church, and yet we often miss the people right there who are hurting and need us. And so I, 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 on the one hand, thought that was sad for Christianity, but then I had to do some self-reflection. And it was sad in my own life, too, that it was, it was true. I had been busy for people. Um, just uh, several weeks ago, there was uh, Steve Gladen, who's the small groups pastor from Saddleback Church uh, in the States, which is Rick Warren's church. He was in Hong Kong giving a training, and I had the privilege to sit in on that. And The biggest takeaway I took of something he said was um, he had to learn and he was teaching us that people, as Christians, people are never an interruption to your business. As Christians, people are our business. If we're too busy for people, we are not living out the gospel. And so if we want to be people who bring others to Jesus, we have to take time to notice and to look. Now, if we look at verse 35, what was Jesus doing? We see that he was traveling, he was teaching, he was preaching, proclaiming, he was healing. In other words, what do we learn about Jesus? Well, he was busy too, right? I mean, and and probably much more so than any of us are. And so, in fact, we see that in the midst of Jesus being busy... Okay, there was nothing wrong with being busy in and of itself, but in the midst of his busy schedule, he still took the time to look and notice those around him. And so, if we want to be used by God to bring others to Jesus, we first have to pause our own lives and escape from the little world that we tend to to live in and recognize there's a world out there with people who are lost and hurting and in need of Jesus. Not only do we need to look, but when we do look, we need to love. We need to love. In verse 36, it says that after Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on those he saw. Well, why did Jesus have compassion? Well, it says that because they were harassed and helpless like sheep 
without a shepherd. You see, when Jesus looked out, he didn't see the things that we normally see. When we look at people, we look at just the external appearance or people's behavior, their actions on the outside. But Jesus sees things that are deeper from what's on the surface. Jesus doesn't look just at our exterior actions or attitudes or our appearance. He sees what's beneath the surface and sees how truly lost, hurt, and broken we really are inside. And so when Jesus saw people, it it probably was tempting to look out and to see a lot of people who were so-called sinners, who were living ungodly lives, who were doing things and believing things and teaching things that were completely offensive to God. And yet he didn't point a finger of judgment at them. He didn't condemn them. His heart broke for them because he saw that they were people who needed God's grace and forgiveness and who needed to hear the good news of the gospel. You know what? I personally am so glad that our God is a compassionate God. You know, I, I do know Christians who honestly will say things like, oh, that person is going to get what they deserve, or I hope that person burns in hell. And I've heard Christians say that. Um, when Several years ago when uh, Osama bin Laden was, mur- was um, killed, um, Americans were very proud of that. I heard a lot of Christian Americans saying, well, he got what was coming to him. And on the surface, yes, we want justice in life, right? But even someone as evil as that is still someone who is, who is loved by God. Someone who Christ died on the cross for. Someone who's created in God's image, who is in need of God's grace. And so it's very easy for us to point the finger at those so-called sinners out there and yet totally forget that we're a sinner too. Totally forget that we need God's grace and needed God's grace in our own life. You know, if, if all of a sudden um, a video projection of all of my sins or all of my sinful thoughts were projected on the screen here, man, I would, I would melt in hum- humility and shame into the carpet. I would not want you to, to look at you in the eye because I would be so ashamed of the things that I've done and the way that I've offended God. And yet with our God, there is forgiveness. And with our God, there's compassion. And so none of us would be here if we didn't have a compassionate God. And so we too need to have compassion on others just as Christ had compassion on us. So I want you to do some self-reflection. How about you? How do you view the lost and hurting around you. Um, Think about people in society that you interact with or you see regularly um, that you find difficult to love. Um, And maybe you see them close and maybe you see them kind of from a distance, maybe just in in television or the media. Um, But think about people you find difficult to love. Um, I mentioned Osama bin Laden. What about terrorists? They're kind of hard to love. Or um, racists. Um, people or people who are prejudiced. Um, I've encountered people like that here in Hong Kong. Um, what about corrupt politicians? <laughs> or make it more personal, what about our unreasonable bosses 
or employers who put unnecessary burdens on us or are leading us in a way that we don't think is right and they frustrate us or people who work under us if we are a boss or employer who just drive us nuts because they're always causing problems or conflict what about our teachers who are unreasonable or overbearing what about bullies or at school or let's face it in the workplace people who manipulate and try to get their way and um, or on, on the road. I was talking about driving last time I spoke. You know, there's bullies on the road. Um, or as Pastor Mike said, the guy who talks really loud on the phone when you're just trying to relax on the minibus. <clears throat> well, let's make it a little more controversial. What about homosexuals? You know, gay marriage is a big thing that's being talked about here in Hong Kong of possibly being a reality. How do you feel? Or on the flip side of that, how do you feel about judgmental Christians? who speak in a judgmental way against homosexuals. You see, there's people from all different perspectives and and spectrum that we can find difficult to love. And yet all of us, all of us need God's grace and compassion. We are not better than anyone else. You know, um, I've just been talking recently to people um, who just frustrate me because... um, And these are Christians that I look up to and I admire and yet continually point the finger in judgment at those who are sinners. And yes, I get it. Are they sinners? Yes, but so am I. You know, James talks about if we sin at just one part of the law, it's like breaking all of it. So it doesn't matter if you've committed murder or if you've told a little white lie, we all are deserving of God's wrath and judgment. And so we need to... It's okay to acknowledge sin, but we need to start loving and having compassion on others. Maybe that's why a lot of people aren't coming to Christ, because all they see is a wagging finger of judgment, and they don't see an open hand of grace. Which doesn't say it's okay, but it says there's a better way. You know, that's how Jesus handled a couple situations with the woman at the well, who was was divorced and an adulterer, and... He gently led her to living water to give her freedom from that. And the woman who was caught in adultery where the religious leaders wanted to stone her. And yet Jesus said gently, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. I think that's the heart of Jesus, is that we need to learn how to have compassion and love for those who are difficult that we encounter. Uh, Thirdly, we need to pray. Jesus, after he said those sobering words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, he then says we need to pray. He says to ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so if we want to be people who become followers of Jesus, it starts, it starts with prayer. Uh, you know, I wonder if more people would begin following Jesus if we as Christians would come before God in prayer more often than we already do. Um, asking Him and pleading Him with Him to soften and change people's hearts and to draw them to Himself. You know, I'll have to admit, I'll be the first to admit, I don't pray as much as I should for my unsaved friends and family members. 
And as I was preparing this message, I was convicted by James's words in James chapter 4, verse 2, which says, You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, God is all-powerful. He can do all things. Can he save people without us praying? Absolutely. But for whatever reason, God has chosen to work according to our prayers. Um, Or possibly, as this teaches, that maybe sometimes God doesn't work because of our lack of praying. And so as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Jesus' words throughout the Gospels where he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Ask and you will receive. Ask and it will be done. Ask and I will do it. This is something that Jesus said repeatedly. And so if Jesus is saying, just ask me and I'll do it for you, then the question is, why don't I ask? I mean, if, if we have the great God of the universe who can do anything, and we have loved ones who won't be with us in heaven and will suffer forever if they don't know Christ, why aren't we asking for God to work in their life? Back when I was in uh, Bible college uh, studying in the States, I was a volunteer at my local youth group. And I led a midweek, a Wednesday night Bible study for high school boys. And um, one night when we were finished, one of the guys wanted to stay back and he had some questions and some things to talk about. So uh, we we talked for a bit and um, I could see that he was leading somewhere, but he didn't get there yet. And then he finally got there. And Basically, he was um, someone, his name was Josh, and Josh had grown up in the church. He grew up in a Christian family, but he didn't really understand really the gospel. He he didn't quite understand, how do I really become a Christian? And so um, we talked through that, and I, I led him through some passages in the book of Romans. And um, after a while, it was like a light bulb went off in his mind, and, and he finally got it, and he was able to articulate back to me um, what he understood, and, and so we prayed together, and he prayed to receive Christ for the first time. And, um, and so <clears throat> uh, Josh still, uh, we go back and visit him occasionally when we go back to the States, and to this day, he still tells people about the time when I led him to Christ. But the story doesn't end there. Um, the next day, when I was, uh, I was in my dorm room, I was studying um, at my desk, and the phone rang. And Uh, there was a lady who called who was a mutual friend or someone that Josh and I mutually knew. And uh, she was talking, and then she said, I just wanted to say thank you so much because I heard that Josh prayed to receive Christ. So thank you so much for leading him to Christ. And, um, you know, I I just acted all humble and said, well, that's okay. It wasn't a big deal. I was just following God's leading. And um, so she said, "But, but you don't understand. We had been praying for Josh for his salvation for two years. What an amazing answer to our prayers. And so I kind of just sat there after that conversation and was processing what what she had said. Man, they were praying for two years. That's pretty cool. Well, it was literally within a minute or two after that, someone else on on the the hall that I was living at in my dorm ran into my room. He said, Dan, I heard the good news. Josh became a Christian. I was like, yeah, I prayed with him to receive Christ last night. He said, thank you so much. I said, well, yeah, it's not a big deal. I was just following God's leading and acting all pious and humble. But then he said, Dan, you don't understand. And he he was a youth leader, volunteer leader at another church that also knew Josh. 
He said, you don't understand, at our church, we had been praying for Josh for two years for him to come to know Christ and his salvation. Isn't it amazing how God answers our prayers? And so when I reflect back on that encounter with Josh that evening, you know, God did use me to to share the gospel with him. But I'm not the real hero of the story. Obviously, God is the hero of the story. But from a human perspective, the real heroes were the men and women, the boys and girls, who spent hours and months and weeks and years, for two years, praying for Josh, often with tears. They told me that they were crying out to God for his salvation, pleading with God for Josh to become a follower of Jesus. So when we think about our loved ones, the the people we care about the most, or maybe the ones we don't care about but really need Christ, we need to be praying for them. Can we be people who commit to praying for the lost around us? And so we need to look, we need to love, we need to pray, and then finally, we need to go. You know, I found this um, part of the passage really interesting. Okay, Jesus starts out, he says, you know, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, there's not enough people. You guys need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. We need to plead for God that there be workers who go. And then chapter 9 concludes, and it transitions to chapter 10. And the, the, the very few, first few verses of chapter 10, it kind of lists out the names, basically lists out the names of the disciples. And then in verse 5, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's not enough workers. Let's pray that God would send workers. So they they get together, they pray, God, you need to send out people who can go and share the gospel with these people. Amen. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, guess what? You're the workers. (laughs) And they're like, wait, no, we were praying for other people to go and to, to reach them. I mean, you would, not me, I would. You see, Jesus teaches a very fundamental truth to us, and that is that the workers aren't out there somewhere. The workers are here. You are the workers. When Jesus said to ask uh, for God to send workers, he's basically saying, ask God to prepare your heart to be a worker. If you're a Christian, God's calling us to be a worker. You know, so often we think that God's workers are pastors or uh, ministers or missionaries or church workers, and we think that you know that kind of work is for people who are much more spiritual than me, much more qualified than me, uh, much more talented, much more gifted. You know, we often think, <clears throat> you know, I'm not qualified to go and share the gospel. I mean, I I don't even I don't know the Bible that well. I don't even read the Bible that much. I um, I don't know if I'm even living the Christian life the way I should. I don't pray as much as I should. And we think of all kinds of excuses. And yet, when we're a follower of Jesus, saying, no, I want to use you. You know, I've often um, struggled in my own life of feelings of inadequacy, so to speak. Um, When I was finishing high school, I was 18 years old, and I thought I had my path set out. I was very idealistic, and I had just started in our... um, musical group or band, and I thought, well, we're going to you know, be a band forever, and rock and roll never dies, and <laughs> foolish teenage years. Um, 
So I thought that, and I thought, well, maybe on the side, I'll study business or accounting or something like that, because I loved working with numbers. I was, my favorite and best subject was mathematics. So I thought, I'll do something with that in case the band thing doesn't work out and then I'll have a good source of income. Um, but God made it very clear when I started applying to colleges and universities that, Dan, I want you to do youth ministry. And I don't know how else to explain it other than it was just a clear call that God gave me on my life. Now, God doesn't do it so clearly for everyone, and I understand that. But for me, that was my experience. And, you know, looking back, uh, and people who know me will verify that, you know, I found it strange that God would call me to youth ministry because I do not possess the character traits or the personality traits or the, the talent that most people are looking for in a youth director or a youth pastor. Um, <clears throat> for one, I'm, um, I, I'm not very outgoing. I'm pretty introverted. Um, you know, just I'm pretty shy, to be honest. Um, so me being up here is not very comfortable for me. Um, I kind of have, after doing this many, many times, I kind of have taken on the role. But, you know, I'd rather just kind of be sitting in the corner listening and with a few people <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm very shy, very um, introverted, not very outgoing. I'm certainly not the coolest guy you'll ever meet. Um, definitely not the funniest guy. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, most of the youth thought my jokes were pretty lame. That's true. You can ask my former youth. <clears throat> um, you know, I don't play musical instrument, really. I, I kind of play the drums, but not really. Um, I don't play guitar, which it seems every youth pastor plays guitar. I don't... <laughs> I don't drink coffee. Every youth pastor drinks coffee. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm really not up to date with the biggest fads and trends uh, in youth culture. Honestly not. I mean, embarrassingly, I didn't know what Gangnam Style was till like a year later. And then I'm like, oh, right. It's already got five billion views on it or whatever. Um, you know... There's nothing special about me, and there never was or never will be. I am just someone trying to follow Jesus' calling on my life. And even when God called us to Hong Kong, um, I didn't want to come. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. And I had been here to visit, and I thought, Hong Kong is a great place to visit, but not a good place to live. Two weeks here is enough for me. And uh, my wife obviously wanted to come because this is her home where she grew up. <clears throat> and I'll be honest, um, there's a few, few reasons. Um, I didn't speak Chinese, Ma Cantonese, or Mandarin, and I was going to work in a Mandarin-speaking church. So I'm like, God, why, you know, I'm not, no. Um, to be honest, I, I didn't really like the food at first. <laughs> um, so I thought, God, I'm going to starve, I'll, or I'll get really fat because I'll eat McDonald's every day. Um, <clears throat> I had only grown up pretty much in an, not literally, but virtually all-white community, um, you know, all Midwestern, all Guaylo Church, um, and so I had zero international experience. I hadn't, when, when I first flew to Hong Kong to visit um, Gita's family when we were dating, I was like 21, something like that, and I had never... 21, 22, and I had never been on an airplane before, <laughs> let alone actually overseas. So now God's saying, I want you... So I don't know what the, my previous church was thinking, you know, why to bring me over. I don't speak the language. I don't like the food. I don't, you know, I, I don't have any international experience. 
Why would God send me? And I remember some conversations I'd have with God, because I'm an introvert, so I can do those kind of things. <laughs> and so I was talking to God, saying things like, you know, God, why do you want me to go? Honestly, I'm not qualified. And I listed out the things and reasons. And God would say, yeah, Dan, I know, you're right. You're not qualified. Ouch. So I'd sarcastically say, gee, thanks for the confidence boost, God. And uh, so then I, I would say, God, I just, I can't do this. I, I honestly am scared and I can't do it. And he would say, Dan, you're right. You can't do it. I'm like, oh. But then I, I remember God clearly speaking to my heart saying, Dan, you can't do it, but I can do it through you. And you can do it through me. And so if God can call this Midwestern American, uncultured, to come to Hong Kong um, and survive. I, I'm surviving. I haven't starved. I actually like the food now. I know a little bit of Mandarin, a little bit of Cantonese. I won't show that off now. But, um, <clears throat> and here I am 10 years later. I didn't even want to live here, and it's been 10 years, and that's by God's grace. And I just share that to say there's nothing special about me, and to be honest, there's nothing special about you. But we have a God who can do all things. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do great and mighty things. Man, there are so many people in Hong Kong that we encounter at our work, at our home, at our school, who don't know Jesus. The workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Um, just real quick, you know, Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries ever, we wouldn't be here now worshiping if it wasn't for him and his coming to China. He felt the same way. He said, I sometimes think that God must have been looking for someone small enough and weak enough for him to use. And then he found me. You know, there was nothing special about Hudson Taylor. And yet think of all the millions of Christians that are here today because he answered God's call. And so the question here this morning is, who here is willing to stand up and say, I will go. I will be your worker, Lord. I acknowledge I can't do it on my own strength, but I can do all things through you who gives me strength. There are so many people that need Christ. And we need to pray for workers, but that's really praying for us to be sent as God's worker. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads, close our eyes. And I would just like to pray for you and that God would prepare your heart to be his worker starting today and throughout this week and continuing throughout the rest of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for so, so much for the example that you've given to us today and these challenging words by Jesus. Lord, these are words that we hear a lot, but often don't take the time to realize just how many people out there don't know you and what a tremendously difficult task that is. And God, if we all pray that, God, that you would send people from other parts of the world to go, then nobody goes. God, we want to pray, prepare us, prepare me, to go and to be your worker. 
Lord, help us to genuinely slow down our lives so that we take the time to look and notice those around us who are hurting. To, take, to not just keep all the attention on ourselves and on the things that can distract us, but to realize there are people who need you. God, help us to love those around us, even and especially those who are difficult to love. God, they need your grace, your compassion, and why not let us be the ones to be an instrument to give that to them and to share the good news of your son, Jesus. And Lord, help us to pray for the people around us who don't know you. Prayer doesn't take a long time. Just help us to continually keep our loved ones on our minds and to bring them before you. And Lord, to pray that you would prepare us as well to go and be your workers. God, I pray for each and every person here today that your Holy Spirit would, would uh, be poured out in each and every heart here this morning, that each and every one would be filled with your Spirit, and that we would be empowered to go and be your workers so that we can be a light and that we can make an impact on Hong Kong. Lord, it's 10% today. God, we want to see more and more as the years go by, and that's not going to happen unless we also take up our role and our part. So God, give us the courage, give us the strength for your namesake and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.